0: Season 6, Fowler Who You Got is here. We're really excited about the episodes we've got lined up for you, including our season debut, Brendan Hunt, Coach Beard on Ted Lasso. Also the show's executive producer, co-creator, and co-writer. I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan. They just kicked off their third and final season. We also talk about Brendan's deep passion for sports his formative five years in Amsterdam, his deep run on Celebrity Jeopardy, our long-ago chance meeting in a Chicago bar, and our separate encounters with a very feisty Burt Reynolds. Today, I've got Brendan Hunt. Brendan Hunt, I'm grateful in advance for your time and your energy and your wisdom, sir. I've set the bar quite high, but I think we can get there, and we have much to discuss, so thank you for being here.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. This is thrilling.
0: We have our... Joint background growing up in Chicago, Chicago sports, our initial indifference to soccer turned to passion. We'll get to all that stuff, a story involving Burt Reynolds and bodily harm um, that you won't see coming. But uh, the obvious place to begin, of course, is with the beloved Ted Lasso. And like millions of fans, my wife and I are waiting for the beginning of season three as we start this. And I wonder if you have a sense of the fans, you're an avid reader, as is your character, Coach Beard, we feel like we're getting to the end of a great novel and we're watching the pages dwindle and dwindle and we can't wait to see how it ends, but we don't want it to end because once it ends, those characters, are they're not dead to us, but they're sort of cryogenically frozen at least. I, I, do you have a sense of that? And, and how are you feeling about you know, where you landed it and how you're gonna take us there?
1: Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, like, yeah, as as, uh, as people have, have heard, but but just to get everybody on board, you know, we've always seen it as a three-movement uh, suite, essentially. You know, we didn't know it was going to be three seasons. We thought maybe we'd get, you know, do, like, the uh, the original, uh, you know, um, framework from the original Office. Like, maybe we'd get two six-episode seasons and then a special. Wouldn't that be nice? And we kind of had it mapped out that way. Um, but then we got, you know, picked up by a uh a streaming service that doesn't exist so or that didn't exist so we didn't know we'd get even a, a second season so here we are at you know getting towards the end and um we still are trying to finish uh the story that we originally saw you know but with all the like new additions that people have brought to the table over the years um it may not be it may not be the end end um but we are telling the end of this story at the very least um and um Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of funny because like we, like we've gone through it already in a way. Like we had our emotional last day of the shooting. We had our emotional last wrap party. We said our goodbyes. But now everyone else is getting the emotion part because now they're all just going to start watching, (laughs) you know, and get through these uh, three months for for goodbyes that uh, are like the, you know, like how uh, how we see a black hole uh, happen, but it actually happened a million years ago. Um, People are getting this late goodbye of, uh, of latent cosmic energy um, and um, yeah I think we I think we're off to a good start and we had the premiere the other night showed two episodes people were into it and that's a real good sign that um, hopefully people will will enjoy the, the journey with us again.
0: I'm not sure how much time you spent around coaches, but you've nailed as a collective group so many of the inner sanctum details, the richness of these relationships between coaches, the the camaraderie, the chemistry that comes from competition, the highs, the lows, the friction, the little attacks on each other, the backstabbing. That's also a part of it. I, I promise you, you've gotten all of those elements so right. Where did the inspiration come from to nail nail the the relationships in that coaching room
1: um i guess just from the desire to make sure that the show is more about relationships than anything else so in every in every um you know setting that the show takes place in be at the coach's office or, or rebecca's office or at the pub you know it's relationships first and foremost um <clears throat> you know uh jason and uh and joe kelly are our, our other co-creator and bill lawrence like they all have a lot more athletic experience than me that's for sure and um so we all have some degree of coaches to, to to draw from. Me, I just draw from acting teachers. That counts, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, But they've all been real people for it. You know, Jason, very early on, when we first met as a writer's room, the first thing he wanted to know from everyone was was like, who's your mentor? Talk to us about your mentor. And um, because everyone's got one, even if it's not necessarily a a, a football coach. Um, and yeah, that was kind of like the, the start of it. You know, just making sure that these are we're drawn from real people and not making a uh not making a fantasy of a, of a happy dude
0: well even the shocking scene where the character of Nate goes from this lovable underdog to this machiavellian creature who who stabs ted lasso in the back and and creates a huge public problem for him and eventually leaves the staff at the end of season two i mean that that stuff is not unheard of in real life coaching, believe it or not. There, there are all kinds of coaches who share unflattering stuff about their colleagues for whatever reason with people in the media and people in the profession. And so I didn't find that quite as shocking as a lot of people did. Yet, you know, it goes on in that profession. And I thought, wow, you you guys even went there.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not trying to do anyone in particular. Um, we just always knew that Nate, was going to be the character who just wasn't quite ready for, uh, for all the opportunity that he was going to get. Um, you know, it would have been too much of a fantasy world if, if Nate was just, uh, you know, if if everything Ted touched really did touch, you know, turn a relationship gold. Um, you know, some people just aren't ready and yeah, I mean, as much as anything that, I mean, that's the stuff that we're kind of getting out of like empire strikes back and a a, a bit of (laughs) Shakespeare. Um, but, uh, but I mean, feel free to name names. Who are we talking? Who are we talking about? Charlie Weiss? Uh,
0: well, let me tell you, there was this, no, it happens where, listen, I mean, in college football, there's 10, 11 coaches, and so the boss sometimes doesn't run things the way Ted Lasso runs things. You know, it's a top-down dictatorship. The hours are long. The stress is real. Winning or else is the only thing that matters. And frustration that comes from that. And then, obviously, there's just ego and opportunity. And I, I'm not getting a chance to call the plays because coaches intervening. You know, that, that kind of thing is rife for um, – you know, the kinds of reactions you get, I, but I'm not going to name them here, but but because I, I would I would never have that dirty stuff share with me again, Brendan, I would have lose the trust of these people. No, I, but it happens. I, I just didn't shock me as much as maybe some people, although Nate didn't seem a likely, uh, didn't seem a likely traitor going into that. Your character, Coach Beard, is so cool. I was always drawn to that character in the show way before I ever thought we would meet. And it, you know, his stoicism, is wisdom, is quietness. There are coaches just like that, too. They're typically in the supporting role, but but not everybody is an extrovert, alpha, vocal person. And there are a lot of coaches like that, and and yet you capture something else that's so real where you have to lay into Ted your best friend. It's late in season one, and you look him in the eye and basically he's being selfish and being stupid, and and you won't drink with him, and you throw him out of the pub. It's a powerful Great acting, by the way, but a powerful scene. That's also the kind of thing that that does happen in in real coaching experiences. And obviously happens between real best friends. But but what a moment. It must have been interesting to act that.
1: (laughs) Uh yeah. I mean, I think that's my longest chunk of dialogue in the entirety of season one. Um, (laughs) certainly up to that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's one of the fun things about their relationship, is you know, um, Beards there, um, you know, to just fill in Ted's gaps, and because Ted has got all the talking covered, there's rarely any, um, you know, uh, gaps in oratory that he needs to step up and help with. Um, but he'll he'll point out he'll point out stuff that Ted needs to be looking at that isn't. I mean, he gives him all the warnings in the world about Nate, and uh, and Ted just still doesn't quite catch it. So yeah, we all should have that friend who's telling us that you know we've got toilet paper on our on our shoe or, or lettuce in our teeth or toilet paper in our teeth, depending on how the night
0: has gone. Yeah. But you told him his philosophy is full of shit by how he handled a key player at a key moment. <laughs> it's a little bit more than toilet paper on his shoe. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's what made it so powerful. You
1: philosophy just in this one instance. And
0: you turned on your former girlfriend, which is why that's a great kind of mic drop moment walk out of the phone. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, I'm not going to geek out on this. We could go on for, for, for about seven hours on this show. I, I just think it's something that's so, hopeful and, and compassionate, human and empathetic. And it, it celebrates humility and curiosity. And it runs so counter to so many of the shows, by the way, great shows that I also love to watch, whether it's, um, you know, White Lotus or Succession or Ozark, but those are not about the sunnier sides of, of human nature, right? I mean, that's not what they're trying to be. But you, you mentioned positive cosmic energy, maybe some of that comes into your life because this show is so much about upbeat positive qualities
1: yeah i mean we feel we, we think about this a lot i mean jason has said like um it could, one of the best things about playing ted lasso is he gets to you know at least pretend to be in a good mood uh pretty much all day, <laughs> every day. um and yeah i wonder sometimes you know we had that we had the premiere the other night and like you know the show like makes does make people happy and you know it doesn't just make them laugh like it means so much to them and so when when we have crowds to encounter it's like this outpouring of uh, of of you know we'll we'll call it love and i find myself wondering like what were were the premieres like for true blood like what kind of crowds did they get for that was it was it a different vibe (laughs) was it a bunch of incestuous people wearing fake things um so yeah we're pretty we're you know it wasn't the goal wasn't to create you know parties with uh with, with, with positive vibes but it is a wonderful ancillary effect of what we've ended up doing
0: yeah last thing i'll touch on about the show is that the beard after hours episode which is one of my favorites and it's this i would say almost scorsese like trip through the dark murky grittier side of london where your character suffers a huge disappointment and then gets uh, humiliated, chased, beaten, uh, abandoned, rescued, and ends up in a dance club with a hula hoop, which is a skill I know you authentically brought to the role because you, you've you done a lot of hula hooping in your life. But, wow, I mean, that was just this incredible experience to watch, and I, I would imagine uh, a fun departure for you where you get to show uh, more than the typical Coach Beard vibe there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, cool that uh, Joe Kelly and Brett Goldstein went ahead and, uh, and wrote that. They didn't let me see the script for a very long time, which was somewhat frustrating, um, but I knew you know, some of the basic things. But uh, yeah, I'll hula hoop at the drop of a hat as long as it's a proper <laughs> hula hoop and not one of them toys they sell at Target. Um, but yeah, that was a fun fun couple of weeks, but also very arduous for a man who's slightly too old to be doing all this <laughs> stage combat and fucking running. <laughs> Did you do
0: your own stunts that you get your ass kicked all over the place?
1: <laughs> I mean... Like they they had asked casually at one point if I wanted to do the stunt where the guy falls off the building or jumps off the building, and uh, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that move—that's probably more than I should do." I'm no, I I won't I won't do that. Uh, but then I saw the guy. There was video of the guy like practicing it, you know, and they have the decelerator uh, cable, you know, going down his back, and it's like, "Oh, well, that doesn't look so hard." Like if it if it helps the project to have my real face in there, yeah. So I go to the producer. I'm like, "Hey, just you know, I'm I'm happy to do that stunt." And he openly laughed at me, <laughs> like, "No, no, whoever said you should do that is being ridiculous. We can't ensure that." It's into a dumpster, right? It was <laughs> uh, into a dumpster, and on the day, like, you know, it's exciting. Like the biggest stunt we've ever had, and you go down and you see the dumpster. It's like, you know, it's it's like a fake top layer of garbage bags, but you know, there's pads and stuff inside. Um, and then the stunt finally happens, and we're all watching around the monitor and the stuntman goes down and uh, as he's getting close to the dumpster like oh shit he's he's too close to the wall that dumpster and he goes through it seems like inches away at most from the hard metal wall of this dumpster and we and we're all watching waiting for a signal and we don't hear anything from any from anybody and we don't see his hand we don't see his head it was like 15 seconds of like can we get word please can we get word please is he okay and he was fine but he did he did acknowledge that, yeah, he put a little too much oomph into it, and he ended up being two inches from the wall when he was supposed to be two feet. Um, if a pro almost forest, breaks his back, I, if it's if a I'd good thing it, you didn't I would jump have, in it. Would, I would have murdered this thing. But this guy, <laughs> fine, he has to have his day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not going to annoy you by asking about spoilers, but I did, I did have one curiosity. Maybe it's not a spoiler. Do we know Coach Beard's name at all? Is he going to be the man of mystery where you don't even know his first or last name? At least I don't think that's been revealed, right?
1: um it has not um uh we we've had fun debates over the years of what we think it might be um uh various shout outs or tributes might we might do if it was this was his name or that was his name but you know in the end we got to protect the mystery uh of beard for as long as possible i know i think learning kramer's name uh was like oh cool his name is cosmo all right fine (laughs) you know but it didn't end up Making Seinfeld any funnier, knowing that his name was Cosmo. So um, it's not. I, I love that people care so much, but it's not as high a priority uh, uh, for us as it, as it appears to be for the lovely, lovely mess. I uh,
0: would hazard a guess that Richmond versus West Ham will feature somewhere in the series with the once, but now not so longer great Nate coaching that. So that'll be interesting to see. I would buy. I would fly to London and buy a ticket to see that game if it were uh, if it were real. So. Uh, looking forward to it. Hey, uh, your passion for soccer is, is authentic. Um, it was born in the Netherlands, I understand. And you, if you grew up in Chicago, you're younger than I am, so you wouldn't have experienced all of the heartbreak of Chicago sports. You wouldn't have seen the Cubs collapse in the late 60s and early 70s. You would have been closer to the time that Michael came along and the Bulls became great and not just good or decent and always lose to the Bucks and the Warriors. And and you would have experienced you know a Cubs World Series uh, w- without having to wait as long, and the Blackhawks and the Stanley Cup, um, but man, you must have had some scars. You you grew up like you could walk to Wrigley Field, right? I, I did birthdays there, but I had to I had to come down the uh, the tollway from Rockford, Illinois, to get there. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, we we moved a lot, but uh, we were always um, damn near always within walking distance of Wrigley Field, um, and uh, my mom. Uh, in particular, would take me to games uh, a lot. You know, my dad, um, Her heard my dad divorced when I was two, and my dad was uh, not in the picture that much, but they were both, they were both uh, from the South Side and, and Sox country, so I was a North Side child with South Side parents. Um, but uh, I I ended up being uh, the, a rare Chicagoan that is hated by many, but I am who I am, so I'm a fan of both. If they play in the World Series, I'm rooting for the Sox. That's so just how it's going to be. I've been to, Four or five times as many Cubs games as I have Sox games, just by geography. And when I go back, my family still lives there. My family still wants to go uh, see Cubs games. My step when my stepdad came into the picture, my stepdad was a proper bleacher bum um, and had been for years. Uh, so, yeah. Um,
0: wait, 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 wait! You're rooting for the Sox in a Chicago World Series? Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. shocked and 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 crestfallen at that. I mean, I, all, <laughs> all I've heard about is the Cubs, Wrigley
1: come on <laughs> that's, how, that's just how it is and you know th- I mean for most of my life well I guess you know probably not most anymore but for most of my life it was it was much easier to compartmentalize this because they never played each other and then finally interleague play comes along and I think interleague play started while I was in either I was in Amsterdam or it just came at a time when I when I couldn't afford tickets to games but it took a few years before I went to an interleague game and I went into it with incredible trepidation. It was a, it was Cubs Sox at Wrigley, um, and and you know Wrigley more my home stadium than 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 the South Side, even though I loved old Comiskey. But um, hearing Cubs fans, you know you know yelling shit at at the White Sox as as they've I've heard them yell a million times to Cardinals and Reds and Padres, it made me mad. You know, like I was like tensing <laughs> up, um, and the Cubs murdered the Sox that day. Uh, and I took no joy in watching the Cubs score it. And this was not a decision. This was just like, you know, instinct. You know, this is, this is, this is how I know. And Paul Canerco hit a home run, uh, you know, which made it, you know, 10 to one instead of 10 to nothing or whatever. And I remember just like, quietly, well, yes. <laughs> And it's the only circumstance I'll ever root against the Cubs. Um, and I, I, I can't explain it. I know it's not <laughs> socially acceptable but I've literally only in the last few years finally decided like I'm not going to be mad about myself anymore. <laughs> this is just, I, I
0: respect that in all things in life, but especially in sports fandom, you must let your authentic inner voice come out. And that was a visceral reaction. So I, I, I respect that the sucks. I, I don't know if I respect the fact um, that you're an Arsenal fan. We, we support rival London clubs, Arsenal for you, Chelsea, for me, Arsenal has ruined a couple of trips across the Atlantic. Um, for FA Cup finals when Chelsea were the better team, Arsenal were better on the day. Um, but you know our trophy case—I'm nothing to nothing to apologize for there. Um, Gunners may win the league this year. That 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 would be—they're uh, trying to hang on as we sit here right now.
1: Whispered in hushed tones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but 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 you fall in love with soccer in 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 Holland and it's the it's the total football it's a beautiful style of play the dutch teams at that time it's a great time to get caught up in the culture the dutch fans are passionate and very direct and i found somewhat welcoming of outsiders who kind of get it um so you're a passionate fan of uh, the dutch national team which is has set you up i guess for some heartbreak because they're kind of close calls three world cup finals i hosted in 2010 in south africa when they lost to spain in the final they lost Couple of times in the semis, I was in Brazil when they lost on penalties to Argentina, which is how they went out again in the recent World Cup. So, I guess you you've gotten joy, but also uh, stabbed in the heart a few times by being as as being a soccer fan will do to you. Um,
1: being a fan of the Dutch national team is is a really is a, is a really specific thing, you know. Like <laughs> they they haven't won a major trophy since 1988, which is before I was a fan, so I, I got no joy from that they they've lost yeah three finals um two of which were to the host team um but the only final i saw was was in 2010 and in 2010 you know the dutch put a lot of value on uh, attractive teams you know who play football you know the right way mm-hmm. and that 2010 team had some highlights you know Wesley snyder was incredible that that tournament a few guys were they beat brazil which is always exciting but they were not an attractive team. Like they were coached by a Feynord guy, not an Ajax guy. And, you know, it was typified by the Nigel DeYoung, you know, kick into Javi Alonso's chest in the middle of final, which somehow eluded (laughs) the card or at least a red. So there was no joy in it at all. And yeah, they lose, they lose heartbreak after heartbreak, but high stakes heartbreak. It's semifinals, it's finals. And it's, it's the worst.
0: I was staying in the same hotel in, uh, in, Brazil when they trudged back in, in the lobby after being Ooh. beaten on penalties by Argentina, Arjen Robben on the rest of me, just, you know, gutted, but somehow the fans by the end of the evening had turned things around. They were still having a good time, even though they lost in an excruciating way and were this close to being in the final, but I respect
1: they're, it. They're incredible at that. Like that, you know, my first Dutch football heartbreak was Euro 2000, the semifinals. They they'd lost despite being up You know, they had 11 men on the pitch. Italy had nine. um, And uh, Holland missed two penalties in regulation and then lost the penalty shootout at the end. And I was living with eight Dutch dudes who had built bleachers in our living room uh, so it could feel like a stadium in our living room. And we had like 30 people there. It was festive, festive, festive. And then the game ended and it was dead silent. But for like three minutes and three minutes later, ABBA, like there was a very quick. Hey, this is why ruin our day. Why ruin our day? We This happens every two years. Come on, back to the party. We
0: can learn hey, from that. We can learn from that.
1: Very
0: I mean, much so, yeah, yeah. So Amsterdam for five years with a improv comedy group, uh, Boom Chicago. Five years was a long stay at that point for someone involved in that. Yet you've talked about what you learned from spending a chunk of time at, a, at a, an important part of your life when you were getting over disappointment outside the States. And I've been lucky enough to be able to do that big, at least several years of my life added up outside of America. I think I advise people when they ask to, to have an experience far from home, outside our country to gain perspective and and see what the world is about. What, what did you take away and how do you think you were formed, Brendan, by that experience and and getting dropped into Holland?
1: Um, Yeah, so like, you know, as I said, like my parents got divorced when I was really young and then I got married uh straight out of college and was uh separated within a year and a half because I was that was just too young for things to happen. And I was you know, had not really dealt with uh, like with a pro in a proper therapy way with uh with you know various demons. Um, you know, like my 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 parental situation, my mama had become an alcoholic, my dad was still like in and out. It was a whole it's a whole Michigas. And um so for one thing, going to Holland was an, a very powerful, and this is one of the reasons why I think people should travel if they can. Um, it's very powerful to have that much physical separation from your shit, you know? Like, like to like, oh, I'm, hold on, I'm my own place now, and and I'm not as tethered to, to the sort of, you know, the roots that have been, you know, maybe pulling me down a little bit. So there's that. But then the specifically Dutch angle is, is their way of life, was exactly what i needed you know they're they're ruled by a philosophy called the and for something to be zealous um it's a very multi-layered thing like um like you can look like you got a pretty zealous spot back there you get your good lighting uh good plants uh that that looks very to me.
0: nature is around us yes
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um and you can be in a very ungezellig environment uh, like you know you're in a hospital waiting room and the uh, the fluorescent light is blinking and stuff but you can make it gezellig by just connecting with your neighbor or maybe like turning some music on or bringing some coffee over oh now it's gezellig but the bigger picture of gezellig and again it's a wonderful untranslatable word is if if worrying about something cannot you, if you cannot improve the thing you are worrying about by worrying about it why are you worrying Um, because that that you're going to ruin your day and for a guy who was at the time especially just overcome with with like a learned self-hatred and uh, a lot of you know why did I do this that time why did I do that that time well it was was incredibly eye-opening as simple as it may sound to be like well why do you keep asking yourself why you made that one mistake and stuff like you made that mistake that's that's over that's not here anymore why don't you you know, the, the, the sun is shining. Well, no, not in Holland. It's usually raining. Uh, but we're we're dancing, we're playing music. Just, you know, it's it's essentially be here, be now. And again, it may sound very simple, but it was extremely uh uh powerful for me. And that's why I ended up staying for for as long as I did, because so I was like, Oh, I gotta get this in my bones. And I've tried to carry it with me, you know, still today.
0: Yeah, it may be shitty weather, but the sun is shining within a lot of people over there. I I, I get what you're saying. We we often leave home to get away from things but we stay places because we're drawn to something we didn't expect. And I'm, I'm sure at, at that point, it wasn't about escaping. It was about fully embracing and and, yeah. and you know, relishing the change, which I think is what, one of the beautiful things about traveling and specifically living abroad for a period of time if you can. Um, you are wearing a Wimbledon shirt. Um, we had the pleasure of hosting you and Hannah Waddingham, who read one of our teases beautifully for the championships last summer. And... You got all dressed up, and and um, you and Shannon came over, and we were we had a great day. You informed me that uh, that was not the first time that we had met, however, and you caught me off guard with that because I think I would have remembered meeting you somewhere before, but no, I did not, uh, as as you related to me. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: in that in that year before I moved to Amsterdam, in the year when I was when I was uh, separated. Um, I uh, I was waiting tables, um, you know, at a place called Dublin's on State Street in Chicago. And a couple a couple of my improv buddies got me a job there. I had no table waiting experience, and I was not particularly good at it. Um, but uh, every once in a while, uh, uh, celebrities would come in, and one of them, one day, was the uh, great Chris Fowler, um, uh, sitting by himself in his in your uh, in your tie, no jacket, but you still had the tie. Um, and uh, I, I was I by felt, myself.
0: You know, How sad. Uh, yeah.
1: You're <laughs> no i will defend solo trips to the restaurant uh the, to my dying day um but i felt familiar enough to as i walked up and but i was nervous i think i even shook as i said it hey fowler uh, what can i get you and uh you were, you, were, you, were, you were very uh you were very efficient with your ordering as i recall and it was a <laughs> thrilling day
0: i hope it included liquid uh treasures but besides the food I, I wouldn't go to dublin probably for the food i would go there for the the drink and maybe i needed it if i was still wearing my tie but i was alone i don't know what the hell had happened we, maybe we were there shooting something for northwestern i don't remember what it was but at least i wasn't an asshole to you if i was there on.
1: Uh, not at all it was like 5 30 or like maybe four o'clock and you i, I could have been an
0: asshole at 5 30 i'm not a i'm not above <laughs> being an asshole in, in a happy hour you know but I'm, I'm glad. I hope the tip was at least not memorably bad anyway. So. Not
1: memorably bad. Not memorably bad. You did great. <laughs>
0: hey, there's something else. In doing the research, I came across something in an article in The Athletic where you talked about one of the experiences on stage more than 20 years ago now at this troupe called Boom Chicago in Amsterdam where Burt Reynolds is in the audience. You call him up people have to go find this article in The Athletic, subscribe if you don't, because the clip embedded into it is hysterical, where a very young Brendan Welcomes Burt Reynolds onto the stage, and he gets heckled and then threatens to punch out the heckler who he has invited on the stage. It, w- it was incredible. I also have a Burt Reynolds bodily harm story. He wanted to punch me. I'll get to that in a second. But what 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 a fun little... You know, Easter egg to come across. And I guess that's just part of life as an improv guy on the stage. You never know what the hell's going to happen.
1: It, it was so random. Uh, Bert was in town filming a movie that uh, actually I and two other boom guys had, uh, had really small parts in. Um, and uh, we had, but we hadn't, we're not in scenes with him, so we hadn't met him to that point. But it was like this jolt of electricity was in there the whole night. Um, yeah, and people could see the clip and, and what happened, but there's a, there's a, a bit of a, a denouement uh, to that that I, I don't think I've said anywhere so so here you go um, but there was going to be a uh, rap party for this uh, horrible movie horrible movie called snapshots and um, and we got there uh, and, and as we're going there I, I had this uh, Swedish filmmaker friend um, and I mentioned it to him and he's like well if you're going to meet Bert Reynolds I have a question for him in the film Seamus there is a stunt where a man falls out of a tree and he falls onto his head. And there's that thing like there's no way he could have survived. So please bring this up to Mr. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right. Um, and sure enough, <laughs> go to Burt Reynolds after shooting the shit. And for a while, I'm like, hey, Burt, I just got to ask, you remember a stunt in Seamus where uh, a guy falls down on his head? And, uh, and he's like, I sure do. And I, I don't remember the name of the stunt man, but he's like, you know, oh, Kevin McGillicuddy toughest son of a bitch I ever met. He got me out of there. He Came in, fell down on his head. And then he had to go to the hospital. I went there with him. He was immobilized for a while and this beautiful nurse comes in, bombshell. She comes in with a needle this wide. She has him stand up against the wall you know, with his ass out. She's sticking the needle in the small of his back and she pulls back the plunger and it's just full of blood and piss and shit. And Kevin McGillicuddy I'll never forget this. Kevin McGillicuddy says, so I guess I'm not going to get your number. (laughs) (laughs) Jack. Thank you. Magnus for sending me down this road.
0: Bert could tell a story. I, my encounters with him, there were 2 were not quite as pleasant. Uh, S. B. Awards, Radio City, backstage. I come off, he's he's going on, I don't know it's him. It's in the darkness, side stage with the pulleys and the sandbags. I feel a very sharp punch to my tuxedoed shoulder as I'm walking in the opposite direction. Stop, hey, Bert! I'd met him before, he was a Florida State football player, roommate of Lee Corso, my beloved sidekick on game oh, day. Yeah, yeah. So I had met Bert before. And he goes, don't give me that, don't give me that shit. I'm like, now I'm completely baffled. I. I done nothing to Burt Reynolds that I know of. He was convinced that I had made fun of him when he was getting divorced with Lonnie Anderson. It was a total mistaken identity. I, that was not a topic on game day. Hard to believe, but we didn't really cover Bert and Lonnie on our football pregame show. So he's he was just wrong. He might have been watching ET. I don't know what he was watching. It wasn't me, but I could not convince him otherwise. And so that little moment passes. Later on, another year, he's down in Florida State for a game. We're doing game day. He won't come on the set. So he will go to a small side set, and he and Mr. Corso will have an interview down there, and they can shoot the shit and tell stories about when they went to El Paso in the Sun Bowl and crossed the border and had all kinds of fun. So anyway, but that night, I figure this is enough's enough. Like, he's over there on the sidelines with Lee, with our people. I'm not with them. I I walk over, and I figure maybe he's cooled down. Maybe somebody set him straight. It wasn't me. I walk over. He's not having it. He gets right inches from my face. 75,000 people around and says, you don't want to fight a 70-year-old man right here. No. I do not, Bert. <laughs> I, I do not want to fight you on the football field where you once a football star and now like a beloved donor. I, I don't want to fight that. That's one of those no-win situations, right? You either punch Bert, the sheriff's rustling you to the ground, you're a villain, you're taken to jail, or he kicks your ass, a 70-year-old beats you down. That's also a lose in my book. So. i never found out brendan i never found out what burt reynolds was so confused about or why he thought i insulted him it was just a it was a hollywood feud to the end and i I was a huge fan i mean my god smoking the Bandit, the longest yard some of my favorite comedies i mean my god hooper Hooper, i don't share you i like cooper but longest yard for me i mean paul wrecking crew and and you know i was just I, i still was an enormous fan after that but i was just confused so I, I watched with great interest Burt Reynolds threatening to punch out a heckler on, on, on your stage because <laughs> I think he would have. I think he oh, would have. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> what, a, what a weirdly embittered dude. Uh, I will never yeah. understand.
0: Your character, um, like you, uh, has a deep and broad knowledge of random topics. You, you put that on display in Celebrity Jeopardy where Jennifer and I watched and with obviously strong rooting interest as you motored through categories, built up a huge lead, and then I don't want to say, well, I'm not going to say the, the C word, but maybe, well, may, maybe you lost track of the math and you bet incorrectly on Final Jeopardy and Patton Oswald of all people. Patton Oswald comes in and steals the win from you and goes on to the final where, where um, like Baranel says, a friend of yours, he was also part of the, the Boom Chicago. Where he ends up winning the grand prize, and that should have been you, man. That should have been you.
1: Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> gone over my head so much. I mean, to choke on Handmaid's Tale, uh, you know, <laughs> a show that I that I have watched with with such dedication over the years. I mean, I whipped on both Final Jeopardies. Like even the episode I won, like I didn't get Final Jeopardy right. And um, you know, I'm just going to try to have to take it, take it on the chin, learn from next time. Congratulations, Pat Oswalt, he earned it. And. Uh, and uh we'll do but that is that anyway.
0: you is that is the knowledge you display I mean, you were like you were like mowing through categories you, you 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 were it was it was friggin impressive i mean even celebrity Jeppy, maybe maybe the questions are quite quite no. as hard yeah. as some of the I mean, you, but you were a Jeppy fan growing up so obviously it was a big moment a very cool experience to have i think
1: yeah it really it really was you know it was um you know my mom and i uh, had had various avenues of uh of, of bonding um you know despite sort of all the other weird stuff but jeopardy was very much one of them just sitting there you know eyes locked on the TV you know saying the answers um, was a very very reliable ritual for for many years so it's you know and for a lot of people jeopardy is a family thing uh, of course but um but it was cool to uh, to close that off and yeah i had i'd had a as I said in the episode but you know I'd had a an uncle who'd done it uh but oh, he wow. only won once. And he didn't tell us how much money he won until he watched it. He had won exactly three hundred dollars, um, which <laughs> would not have paid for his ticket back and forth.
0: Um, so, you didn't yeah. notice any life changing events after he came back from Jeopardy, though. He wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> suddenly, you know, driving a Bentley or anything after.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. He did. He did have some nice sandwiches, um, but that was about it. That was about it.
0: Well, I know you did a, a, a one man show talking about your five years in Amsterdam, tracing a lot of the background you shared early, what led you there, what you learned there. I didn't get to see that. Um, it, it, I know it was in, in New York and L.A., Chicago, Aspen. Would you please bring it back this summer? Would you come back to Aspen and would you bring that back just as a favor? Because I, I, it, sound, it was beautifully reviewed. It sounds amazing. One man shows take incredible amount of guts to, I would think, to create, to to dig down to find what you got to dig through to, to even create it, and then go to perform it. Um, wow, could you well, do it it's, again?
1: It's <laughs> funny you mention that um, because I've I always loved doing that show, and I haven't done it in a long time, and um, I'm supposed to do it in Amsterdam uh, this summer at the Boom Chicago 30th reunion. But in order to prep for that and get it in my bones, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a few like low key shows at the uh, Hollywood Fringe Festival. Um, this hasn't even been announced yet, until right here today. Um, so we're doing a few dates in June. I'm afraid I won't make it to Aspen, Chris. I apologize for that, but. Uh... <laughs> But it, it, you, you'll have your chance, whether or not you can take it. It'll
0: be here. What, what, well, I, we, will, we will stay in touch on those dates because I would, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would travel to see that. I'd love to go to Amsterdam and see. When is the, when is the Boom Chicago performance? <laughs> uh, the Boom
1: Chicago performance is July
0: 6th. But what was that experience like to walk out there? I mean, I, so many aspects of what you do. My dad w- was in the theater. Uh, he was a, an actor, director, later a playwright. He was a professor a lot of his years. And I, my mom was a choreographer. I grew up around that but mm. never had the guts to step out there and do it. I, For me, theater was associated with great tension and anxiety, you know, secondhand. And, and when a play was about to happen, my dad was not calm and it was unpleasant sometimes. And and so the idea of, of taking some little part and running on stage in a Shakespearean production, my lord, my lord, doth I, that, I, that would scare the shit out of me, even if it had been one line. So aside from burger commercials, I, I didn't have the guts to pursue that, but man, I, I'm a theater lover and I admire the idea of, of going out there and and standing alone on a stage and just telling pieces of your story.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how you end up there in a way, you know, like it, it, it's, but once you, once you're doing it and, and figure out that like you're not terrible at it, it's pretty damn addictive. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just super glad about it. You know, um, I, I was in seventh grade. I started in seventh grade at Kimwood Academy and there was an announcement on the intercom. Um, uh, auditions are coming up for the King and I and to our younger students, because it was a seven through 12, um, um, the King and I has many children who need to be cast. So please consider auditioning. And, and my man Andre Robinson right next to me, we're auditioning for that. Oh, oh. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and we did, and we both got in, and um, and here we are now.
0: The most inane, forgettable things of the morning announcements in a school, and and you actually, that's incredible that that became a spark for what, but but it's become your life's work of all things sitting there listening to some speaker in this clinic classroom. Yeah, but then fact, you had to go do it. You had to go do it, and I, I would, I would think, put yourself out there, and and you know have the guts and the confidence, which I didn't have as a kid to do that, and I, I'm. I'm not haunted, but I do regret it. One of the few things I regret is not stepping out there and doing that. So.
1: Well, sometimes it's not, it's not guts and confidence so much as it is just uh, uh, blindly racing forward <laughs> and kind of ignoring the stuff that apparently you're supposed to be scared of. Um, if you pretend it's not there, then it can't get
0: you. Random question as we near the end here. Um, I mentioned my dad being in the theater. I wonder if you've ever had... An experience with ghosts, if you believe in ghosts, because there are stories that my father haunts the theater in Rockford, Illinois, that he created, according to students and ex-students, which I intend I to investigate. That sounds like a podcast episode, but yeah, I, I have had experiences like that. Have you, have you had a ghost experience, Brendan?
1: Can't say that I necessarily have, and I, I, I certainly wish I had, because like I'm. Um, you know, I, I've got I've got some some hippy thoughts in me about uh, about <laughs> you know the energy of which we are constituted and and in what forms it takes you know, around us. But um, but no, I've, I've yet to be confronted by by a proper ghost. Um, uh, I there's, think still I, there's still time. There's still time. There's still time. I think I sometimes dream the future, but no ghosts.
0: Have you had a near death experience? almost become a, a, a ghost yourself because I've asked guests it's frequently because it often produces a surprising, interesting answer. I've had a couple of them, but if, if you had one of those experiences where you really feel like, Oh, like this could be it. wouldn't this be a weird way to have it. End?
1: Yeah. Um, so in, in Amsterdam, you know, the weekends there would be, there would be fun parties and sometimes we just go to proper, like dancing places, but sometimes you end up going to these like underground um you know squat parties where you know where uh where where squatters (laughs) have taken over like an an abandoned building or abandoned warehouse and turn it into a um some kind of party that you know does not require going through any like osha safety checks (laughs) and um and people are of course um as a rule not particularly sober and i'm at this one that it was in like a warehouse out on the canal out uh, of on, on the river, really, actually, a little further from the center of town. And like the music's good, and I've got some friends there and I'm having a good time, but I kind of go wandering off a little bit, and there's this giant sliding door um, at one point. And I'm like, okay, there's a bathroom in here, and I open the giant sliding door, and outside is the river. The river and five stories straight down uh, to the ground. There is no, there is no banister. Uh, there's no barrier whatsoever. And, you know, there's 200 super high people behind me and it just will take one of them to be like oh wow and then everyone's surging forward and you know we might not all die but i sure will and just like, Ehh. <laughs> Ehh. and there, there, there was no panic no apparently no one even noticed that the whole world was out there or maybe i was the last to know but uh but yeah i, I i'm still shook by that from time to time
0: yeah, that would, that would be a recurring nightmare for me. I mean, maybe combining alcohol, hallucinogenics, and d- five-story drop-offs into a river with no barrier, probably that's a that's a dangerous combination. Like. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, 100%. And I can't swim. Oh, boy. It would I don't be. think
0: swimming would be the problem if you hit the river. <laughs> 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 That'd be the last of your concerns. Of
1: the fall will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go.
0: So, as we wrap it up, um, people are going to launch into this this season and, and, and love it. Um, Arsenal going to win the Premier League. Uh,
1: you are you intentionally know, trying to jinx it. Stop it. Stop that. I I'll won't have down it. Down
0: and show you that the Chelsea. We are we are also Rams, but we're alive in the Champions League quarterfinals so, as we as we sit here now, anyway. So, not which nothing. is better than the Europa League? Just saying.
1: Oh, is it, Chris? <laughs> Hot take. <laughs>
0: You, you post, uh, you, and, you and Shannon post about your son, Sean. Is, is he about two now? And you you were watching the U.S. World Cup team with him in your arms. And I, I just wonder you know, one of the joys of parenthood and, and and specifically having a son, which I've not experienced, would, would be to be able to share things like that with him and kind of um, hope that he grows up and share some of your passion for sports and things in life. So I, I don't know if he's quite old enough to understand what, what was going on with Team USA or, or with soccer, but I know you love to explain the game. So has, does Sean yet understand um, offsides and the the box for midfield. Have you have you told, <laughs> taught him these no, things? I think yet? i
1: got him on a diamond though. Um, <laughs> uh, he uh, he likes watching TV. Uh, you know, to a point where like we have to be a little bit careful about it. But he likes watching sports. I think just because you know suddenly the color green takes over everything, um, and he doesn't really know what's happening yet. But he does do like accidental impressions of me. Like yeah, he'll he will just go oh! and he's learned he learned to put his hands on the side of his head, uh and oh, oh no. And he doesn't know why he's doing that. <laughs> but that me nailed.
0: Well, that's that's gonna be within the rest of his life if he's a soccer fan, there's a whole lot of yelling no and putting the hands on the side of your head, right? That's what it is. Yeah, you know, the uh the beautiful agony of it all. So, you know, many lessons uh, for him to learn ahead. Hey, thanks so much for your time. This is really enjoyable and I uh, you know, can't wait to see how the season unfolds and, and, and see what's, what's next for you. But, uh, getting to know you a little bit has been really fun and, and, and I appreciate, uh, appreciate you joining us.
1: Uh, it's pleasure to be here. Thanks again for the tour at Wimbledon and, uh, let the <laughs> lessons go out to everyone. Don't be a horrible tipper because you never know if you're going to run into that waiter 30 years later.
0: Oh, yeah, we wouldn't be sitting here. Well, yeah. no,
1: I, no I, 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 I was. I don't hold grudges, but I do keep score. Uh, and, uh, and, and you're in the positives.
0: That was fun. Huge thanks to Brendan Hunt. And how about this as a gauge of Ted Lasso's immense popularity? The EA Sports FIFA game, which is what Brendan and Jason Sudeikis used to play before and after those improv shows in Amsterdam. It's really what helped teach Jason the sport of soccer. The EA 23 FIFA game now features AFC Richmond and the characters from Ted Lasso, and they piled up more than a million wins. That is a cool thing for the cast and for the fans of the show. Season 3 continues on Apple TV+, the only network to take a chance on the show. As always, thanks to my co-executive producer, Jennifer Dempster, and to the folks at Octagon. Please subscribe and review the podcast and leave any comments or feedback on my Instagram. And I'll talk to you soon.